Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hi, welcome to episode 18 of the Toward Light podcast. Today I'm talking about the fourth foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of dhammas or mindfulness of categories of phenomena. Over the last few episodes, I've been unpacking the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness is this embodied, non-judgmental awareness of our present moment experience. And the four foundations are the teaching that guides us in how to cultivate this mindfulness, this sati. The first foundation is mindfulness of the body. The second is mindfulness of Vedana or feeling tone. The third is mindfulness of the mind. And this fourth, mindfulness of dhammas, is about everything else, really. The way that Bhikkhu Nalio talks about it is, or translates the word dhammas, is that it is categories of phenomena. When we're in a human body and we experience something, we see it as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's the Vedana. And then we have a thought about it. And then how we understand that thought or how we frame it is this fourth foundation of mindfulness. When we connect in with this intention for embodied, non-judgmental awareness of our present moment experience, these categories help us to understand our present moment experience at a deeper level. We're embodying, living, experiencing the teachings in a different way, not just reading about them. So I want to be really clear that this topic is massive and I am not going to do it justice. In his book, Mindfulness, Joseph Goldstein uses about two-thirds of the book to talk about this fourth foundation. So no joke, a lot of information. I'm really just going to be breezing through and hopefully giving some ways that we can start to see this in our practice, in our lives. I'm going to talk about this in a systemic way But know that this doesn't really show up that way in practice. It's much more subtle and like even as I was prepping for this episode, I was realizing how much I do around the fourth foundation that I don't even know I do. While I'm going to break down these ways that we can categorize our experience and ways that maybe we can see that, really what I've seen in my practice is that over time, the more that I learn and know the teachings, the more I'm just naturally embodying them in my life and practice. I really recommend relaxing and letting this information wash over you. It's, again, a lot of information. And so noticing what clicks with you or what what is maybe an aha moment and let the rest go. I could and probably will do episodes on each of these categories at a different time. So know that there's a lot more information out there. If one of these sparks your interest, um, there are definitely other resources. So the first way that we can categorize or look at our experience is through the lens of the hindrances. The five hindrances are five things that can get in the way of our practice, in the way of our mindfulness. The hindrances are greed, aversion, sloth, restlessness, and doubt. They're the things that get in the way of our clarity, of our wisdom, 
of our ability to witness, see, know. There are a couple reasons why it's so helpful to see these hindrances. One is because if I just see that the hindrances are going to arise, I don't connect with them in a personal way so much. So if I'm sleepy, I can get lost in why am I so sleepy and I'm a bad meditator and blah, blah, blah. Or I can note, oh, sloth is arising. That's it. I don't need to create a whole story. I don't need to bring in any judgment. And then when I see one of these hindrances arising, I can then cultivate or bring in the antidote. So if I'm experiencing greed, I can connect with something like the 32 parts of the body practice and deconstruct experience into less beautiful parts to take the shine off things or something and really see things for what they truly are. If I'm experiencing aversion, I can connect with the Brahma Viharas and bring in some kind of metta or compassion. If I'm experiencing sloth, I can open my eyes, I can hold my posture upright, I can change posture, maybe go from sitting to standing to bring in more energy. If I'm experiencing restlessness, I can bring in some wisdom, some understanding of the path. I can bring in some understanding of these teachings, this teaching in particular, and connect with the breath, connect with the body in ways to calm, to settle. And if I'm experiencing doubt, again, I can rely on understanding the teachings. I can rely on others, teachers, friends on the path, and I can do some reflection about my growth and see if I can stick with the practice, if I can see the benefits of sticking with the practice. So an example of using the hindrances in practice, I'm meditating, a pain in the knee arises, I see it as unpleasant, I start to get into some thoughts of, I can't believe I tweaked it again. So that is an experience of aversion. So then I would go to compassion. I care about my pain. May I be at ease. May my pain be met with wisdom and mercy. The next category of phenomena is the five aggregates. I did touch on these with the second foundation. The five aggregates are contact, vedana, perception, volitional thought, and then consciousness. So some ways I could see this in my practice are I'm meditating. I hear a sound. I don't know what it is. The Vedana is unpleasant because I'm unclear. I'm, and so I get into thoughts of confusion and frustration trying to figure out what is this sound. What I can do is I can see that that is perception, that I am at the aggregate of perception and I am not knowing how to place this sound in a particular perceived box. So I can see, oh, the mind's just trying to make meaning out of this, and I can let it go. I don't need to keep trying to figure out the root of the sound or what is that sound. I can just say, oh, this is what my mind does. It tries to figure that out, but I don't need to get lost in that thought. I don't know if I've given this example before, but so I'm on retreat, and someone doesn't push their chair in in the dining hall, and I get mad. What I can do in that scenario is I can connect with these aggregates. And rather than getting lost in that anger, I can look at, okay, contact. There was a visual stimulus of seeing this thing not happen. The Vedana, it was unpleasant. My perception, 
that's irresponsible, the volitional mind, you know, all the thoughts I have about this person, and then how then consciousness, I now have made this person into a bad person, because they didn't push in their chair. When I take it apart, I can see how ridiculous that is. And I can let the anger go. It loses its power. It's no longer so enticing when I deconstruct that mental experience. And then I can let that go. I can come from a mindful place and notice that then every time I see that person, that this arises, but I can quickly know that it's due to very limited information and I can let it go. The next category of phenomena is the six sense spheres, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, and also the mind is the sixth. So sometimes this can feel a little bit basic or something like, oh, the senses. Okay, cool. I thought we did that in mindfulness of the body. But we take in so much information that we don't know. And there are ways that we don't pay attention to certain sense doors or there are ways that we don't realize where our information is coming from. An example is maybe I'm walking in the grocery store and all of a sudden I have a feeling of grief and I don't know why. And it turns out that somebody just walked down the aisle who wears the same perfume that my Nana used to wear. And so it brought up a whole chain of memories. But I didn't realize that because there was so much coming at me sense-wise. I'm in the store, I'm hearing things, I'm looking at things, I'm touching things, I'm thinking about what I'm supposed to get. And, and then I just kind of overlook this sense door of smelling or don't even, I'm not even able to see it because there's just so much happening. So when we connect with these sense doors in our practice, we then get to see them more in our daily life. A way to work with this in practice is that when we're doing our meditation, maybe we start by settling into the body, but then do a noting practice where when anything arises, we just note the sense door. So we just note mind, smelling, hearing, mind, tasting, mind, touching. You know, we just keep going back and seeing where is our next bit of information coming from. Another example would be I'm sitting, pain in the knee, unpleasant, start to think about this pain in the knee and simply see it as the experience of touch, as the experience of sensation. And then notice what other sensations are in the body, what other experiences of touch are happening broadening the focus to not just be that one sensation, but connecting with other sensations as well. The next category of phenomena is the awakening factors, the seven factors of awakening. The seven factors of awakening are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, calm, concentration, and equanimity. Each of these factors is its own talk. I went to a retreat once where each day was one of these factors. They do build on one another. These are the qualities that we cultivate that lead to waking up. 
It's very important for us to cultivate some knowledge and understanding of the awakening factors due to the fact that we live in a human mind that has a negativity bias. So in order to keep us safe, our mind often goes to the threats and dangers and the problems and the difficulties. And so when we're struggling in our practice, we can sometimes get lost in that. And so it's really important to notice the moments when these awakening factors are present. They also balance each other. So while mindfulness is neutral, investigation, energy, and joy are all activating qualities, and calm, concentration, and equanimity are all soothing qualities. So we can notice if we're too much in one way, what we might need on the other side. Example, back to that pain in the knee, it's unpleasant. I start to think about why, what did I do yesterday? What is the thing that happened that made it? So I'm, I'm getting really stuck in investigation and I'm getting myself all ramped up. So I can see that my energy is building in a not helpful way. So I can go to some calming factors, go to Pasadi, this calm or connect with some samadhi and get some concentration, maybe concentrate deeply on my breath for a little while and let go of the sensation in the knee or some equanimity of, I don't need to know why, like this is just what's arising right now. Another example is walking and maybe hearing some bird song or feeling the breeze and feeling peace, feeling a moment of calm. The mind isn't very active. The body feels relaxed. Recognize that. That's pasadi. That's calm. Really honor that that's arising. See that you're experiencing an awakening factor, a factor that's going to help lead you to awakening, to wisdom. The final category of phenomena that is talked about in this teaching is the Four Noble Truths. This is a foundational teaching that is really shared across all lineages of Buddhism. It's a core teaching, so it makes sense that this practice would come back to it. Again, this practice, this fourth foundation of mindfulness, is helping us to see the teachings at an experiential level. So we can study and understand the Four Noble Truths, but it's really important to be able to feel them in our life, in our practice. The Four Noble Truths are the first truth is the truth of dukkha, the truth of difficulty in life. Second truth is tanha or craving, that this is what helps feed this dukkha. The third noble truth is the truth of nibbana, of cessation, of the possibility of freedom. And the fourth noble truth is the Noble Eightfold Path, the path toward freedom. An example that how we could work with this in our practice there's a pain in the knee. It's unpleasant. I get lost in thoughts about it. But I can see it's just dukkha. It's just part of life. If I'm thinking about it and trying to deconstruct it, I'm forgetting that dukkha happens. I'm trying to explain it or I'm not accepting it. And so sitting, feeling the sensation, oh, that's dukkha. That's it. Dukkha arises. Life is not perfect. Things are difficult. Sometimes my knee is going to hurt. I'm thinking thoughts about how I want the pain in my knee to change. Oh, that's just tanha. That's just craving. I can keep following these thoughts of craving or I can just note it as craving and come back into my body, back to my breath and see what else is arising. 
see what else I can be mindful of. And maybe my whole practice is, ugh, dukkha, ugh, tanha, dukkha, tanha. But maybe I can find moments where I'm not experiencing that. And that points to the third noble truth of cessation, of liberation. Another example of how I could use the four noble truths in my practice is a memory arises of something I did that I regret. That's unpleasant. I can get lost in thought and self-blame and emotion. Or I can remember that, that there are these aspects of the path, sila, this ethical training, that I can cultivate, that I can come back to. And I don't need to get so lost in regretting the past, but I need to cultivate skillful behavior, speech, and livelihood going forward. This helps to see how this path infuses our life. So with all of these categories of phenomena, the more that we study and understand and know about Buddhism and about these teachings, the more we then will see these in our meditation practice. But do know that even if a lot of this felt like gobbledygook or it was too many lists or whatever, there's something that you've taken away and it it may bear fruit soon or not. So notice when you're bringing in some mindfulness into your practice, into your day, if any of this resonates, if all of a sudden you're sitting and you notice like, oh, I'm experiencing sloth. Yeah, that's a hindrance. Cool. Like that's what you took away from this. Again, it was amazing for me to notice as I was prepping this talk how much of this I already do. And I really believe that for you too, that there are ways that whether it's these categories of experience or categories that you are used to seeing the world through, that you're already doing this in your mindfulness. It's really important to trust that however you do the practice is right for right now. The practice is forever evolving and changing. And I have this definition of mindfulness, of embodied, non-judgmental awareness of our present moment experience. See how that fits for you. What do you notice about mindfulness? What do you notice about how it shows up in your practice and in your life? Thank you so much for listening. The links are in our show notes. You can find me on Instagram at towardlight108 and the website is towardlight.net. If you have any questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Be well.